Elementary music teacher friend, you love what you do, but you might feel unappreciated and, in fact, unseen some days. You may even feel like you're on a music teacher island and just want to connect with other music teachers who can relate to both your struggles and wins when it comes to teaching elementary music. I get you and understand completely the feelings you're having. That's why each and every week, the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast will provide you with solo and guest episodes that will help you realize you're not alone in your music teaching journey. Throughout each episode, my goal is for you to be able to walk away with actionable steps and ideas to help you feel like you're ready to take on the new week with whatever challenges may be thrown your way. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. My name is Jessica Peresta, and I am so excited to have you here today. Today, we are going to talk about assessment in the elementary music classroom, something that is definitely overwhelming, is hard to figure out what to do, how much of what to do. If you're doing the right thing, it can be a little bit confusing, I guess is the word I'm looking for, to figure all that out. What I do want to start out by saying is that there is no perfect scenario. There is no script to follow. There is no plan laid out for you to to look at, for you to just say, okay, I need this many formal assessments. I need to assess my students informally this many times based on this grade level or whatever you know scenario you may find yourself in. A lot of it comes down to what the requirements, first of all, of your district are, what you're told, how you're told to turn grades in, what that grading system is, which is different from school to school even or district to district, and also what you're comfortable doing. It's about making a plan, even if it's not the same plan as another teacher, which you hear me say so many times on this podcast, I will say, be yourself. I will say, do things your way. I encourage you to think outside the box and to stay laser focused on your mission, your students, your classroom, while, of course, getting advice and mentorship from others and getting, you know, the right resources and materials and professional development, but also trust. And I did a whole episode about it, you guys, trusting your own intuition that you have what it takes and that your plan is your plan. And it's okay. It's also okay to know that if you make a plan, it will change. It can change up. You can revise it. You can edit it. You can create new templates and new ways of doing things in your music room. It's never set in stone. And that is what the cool thing is about being a teacher is you get to always change your mind. You don't have to continue doing things the same way. So went on a little little bit of a tangent there, but I just wanted to say that. When I get asked a lot of questions about assessment, when I'm thinking about assessment, when I was in the classroom, I know I was so overwhelmed because nobody told me, like I just mentioned, all the details of what exactly to do. I knew all about formal and informal assessment. I had to take all the classes. We studied it. We wrote papers about it. We read about it. We, I had to practice it in my student teaching placement, all the things. 
But when you get your own classroom, as those of you listening to this, whether you're a brand new teacher or maybe you're listening and you're still a college student or you've been teaching 20 years, assessment is one of the trickiest things, I, in my personal opinion, that goes into being an elementary music teacher. Now, I am right now, I will be finished getting my master's in educational technology this year. Uh, at the time of this episode, I'm recording this in February of 2022, and it will air in March of 2022. But I, I've been learning. It's funny because a lot of what I'm learning about backwards planning is exactly what I already did in my classroom and what I'm doing already in my Harmony membership site and already doing when I'm coaching teachers one-on-one and talk about a lot on this podcast. And don't let the phrase backwards planning scare you. And this whole episode is not about backwards planning, but I want to start out by saying, talking about this because it ties right into assessment where when you are backwards planning, a lot of what I know I was guilty of this as well, but a lot of what teachers do is you just find lesson plans to teach with you kind of know what concepts they cover, but you get to the end of the school year and a lot of times it's, well, did I cover all the objectives and standards that either A, your district has provided for you or the national standards or whatever you follow. And a lot of times you're not really tracking in and keeping track of what you need to teach when, or maybe you're just kind of following a curriculum you know, from A to Z without really thinking through it for your particular students, your teaching style, all those things. And backwards planning is what that is. You start with the big picture in mind, and then you work your way backwards. And one thing I learned about in one of my classes is the fact that um, they talked about the fact that assessment comes even before lesson planning. And it took me a while to wrap my head around that because I I thought, well, how can you know how to assess your students if you're not even knowing what you're teaching yet? But what it means is if you know, let's say, for example, you're teaching the standard of TA and TT, that rhythm, and you know that you want to teach that to your students. Well, while you're thinking about lesson planning, what particular songs or activities or movement or um, dances or uh, instruments you're going to be incorporating? I may have already said that. If I did, I apologize. But what what things you're going to be planning, activities and um, lessons you're going to be planning to teach that concept, you're already in the process of thinking about that, thinking about assessment. You may or may not know you've already done that. What what do I mean by that? Well, if you're planning to teach a particular song, you're obviously not just planning to teach the song. You're planning to teach kiddos the song, but then you're going to have them count the rhythm and go a step further and say, okay, instead of just having them count the rhythm, how am I going to assess them counting the rhythm? That is what I'm talking about. If I've totally lost you, stick with me. I'm going to give you some practical tips for both formal and informal assessment. I hope I didn't lose you. And also there is a blog post that goes right along with this episode in the show notes that you can find at thedomesticmusician.com. Okay, so all I'm getting at is when you're lesson planning, don't wait to think, don't wait until you're actually teaching that lesson to your students to go, oh, I think I need to kind of assess where they're at. How am I going to do that? No, when you're planning lessons for the week or for the two weeks or for the month or however you do it, you may even like to plan out like a couple months ahead of time. 
you're going to make a list of assessments that you can naturally tie in informally and formally that will make perfect sense with what your students are learning. So I'm going to give you some practical examples, okay? All right. So the first thing I want to talk about on this episode is formal assessment. I want to also say that there are 9 million ways you can formally assess your students. Maybe not 9 million, but that is a big number, but a lot. So I'm going to just give you three examples, three. And when I give you three, I want you to think about the way you do assessment, what you feel comfortable with. Do these ideas resonate with you? And then if you listen to this episode, it might get your wheels turning a little bit, which is always my goal, is for you to think about what I say and then think about how you can apply it to your own teaching practice or what other ideas you can come up with, maybe that I didn't even mention. So formal assessment. This is when you're collecting actual data that you are going to use to enter grades. For your students every nine weeks. Of course, you got to do progress reports and report cards. The type of grades you give your students, obviously, I mentioned this earlier, depends on what school you're at, what your district requires. I know a lot of you do letter grades. Um, a lot of you do percentages and a lot of you do needs improvement, satisfactory or excellent. Or maybe something I didn't even mention. Some of you are even on a number system. That part doesn't matter. Okay, what matters is coming up with formal assessment so you can have enough data to enter a grade. Keep track of everything. Oh my gosh, you know those things that stand out to you that a mentor told you? One of the things a mentor told me, and I actually talked about this the other night in our Harmony, one of our Harmony member calls, is I said, she told me to keep track of everything. If you're calling a parent, keep track of it. When you're emailing a parent, keep track of that in a folder. If you, when you're keeping grades, track all the data both informally and formally. So if a parent does have a question about a grade, for example, you have the data right there to support it. Okay. So keep track of it. Don't just say, oh, everybody gets an S. No, you have to have reasons why. And yes, I also understand you see a lot of students. And so keeping track of grades is going to be a little more difficult than let's say a fourth grade teacher who has 25 students possibly. So it's going to look a little different, but I'm going to give you some ways that you can easily keep track of stuff. All right, so formal assessment, like I said, is the grades, the actual data you are collecting to give each student a grade. The type of formal assessment you're going to do will depend on several factors. This includes the requirements set by your school, the what grade levels you're teaching. Are you teaching lower elementary, which is in my opinion, usually first, second, but kindergarten's lumped in there as well. I always view kindergarten as a different beast of its own, but it is considered lower elementary. Or are you teaching upper elementary, third, fourth, fifth, possibly sixth? Or are you teaching all of those grades? Whatever it looks like. And a lot of you also teach elementary, middle school, and possibly high school. You teach across the board. So it's going to look different depending on what grade level you teach. And also you need to think about your teaching approach where I, I mentioned that earlier, I'm going to give ideas and share some ideas with you, but this may not align with your teaching philosophy or your teaching approach. And that's okay with me. I'm totally fine with that. But I want you to just know that formal assessment does not need to be overwhelming. There is no set number of formal assessments you need to have. It is just about knowing what standard you're teaching, how are you wanting to teach that to your students, and what natural ways can you tie in a formal assessment to that unit. 
of study. It could be one per two weeks. I understand a lot of you see your students once once a week. It could be one per three weeks. It could be one formal assessment a nine weeks. I, in my opinion, and I know there's going to be differing opinions on this, and that's okay. I don't I don't view it as a it has to be this many numbers. Now, with that said, you do want enough data in order to support the grade you're giving to a child. But you also need to keep in mind that a large part of what happens in the music room is participation. It's a participation grade. Are they participating? Are they trying? Are they doing the instructions you've given them? And we're going to get into that in a minute. So let's say you do want to find some formal assessments. Maybe you want to set a, a number. You, that just makes it helps your brain out. I understand that completely. Trust me. <laughs> Maybe you want to say, okay, I do want to do four formal assessments every nine weeks. Which ones are they going to be? How can I make sure I differentiate them and make them a little bit different per grade level, but also so it's not the same thing over and over? What am I going to do with my students? How can I make them interesting? How can I think outside the box? What am I going to do that makes it interesting for them? A lot goes into planning what formal assessments to do with your students. And this goes back to backwards planning, like I mentioned a minute ago, and knowing what you're teaching that particular week. After you know what standards you're teaching to, you can go right into how you're going to assess that standard before you even teach the lesson. With formal assessments, obviously, they're going to be turning something in, whether it's on a computer screen or whether it's in person on a you know paper pencil item. And so you're not going to need to keep track of it on the spot like you will with informal assessment. And so we'll discuss that in a minute. But just as long as you have your system for keeping track of grades, whatever that looks like at your particular school, I know my one of my son's schools use, uses PowerSchool. I love that as a parent because I can easily log in and see his grades. All schools don't use that. So if your school has a system they use, use that. If not, create a quick Google sheet that you can make your own template with your own assessments that you can easily enter grades and transfer them over to your school's grading system when it's time to put them on report cards. The first formal assessment I want to talk about is exit tickets or writing assignments. These are two different things, but I want to lump them into one category because this is something students are writing about. So this is what I would call a paper pencil assessment. When you're aware of what assessments you're doing ahead of time, you're going to know how much time to allow for them in that class period. So another benefit of preparing assessments ahead of time and creating them and knowing what you're doing is if you're looking, going back to the ta TT example, and you know you're going to be doing some kind of formal written assessment with that activity, you need to, in your brain, knowing the different grade levels, and not only that, the particular classes, how much time they're going to need to complete that activity, giving them enough time to complete it. So you need to maybe pencil that into your lesson plan so you know that assessment will take a little bit of time. If you're handing out exit tickets, for example, you're going to want to leave about 10 minutes for students to write or for the younger grades. Maybe they won't be writing, but they're going to be circling something or drawing a picture of something. Other writing assignments can include writing about personal preferences or the musical style of a song they learned that day, or they can write about how a song made them feel or color a picture of how it made them feel, or even write in a discussion post or a journal. Maybe there is your class, maybe you have a Google Classroom set up. 
And kids can write on a discussion post right there or respond to other students, do a lot of collaborative work. And I know this depends on school building to school building, how much technology you have available. You can still do so much with paper, paper, pencil. You really, really can. Maybe the written assignment is as a class, you have a smart board and they are do, taking turns adding to the journal post on the smart board about one sentence. You're not gonna have time to go through every child, but you designate maybe small groups. Group one, tell me one person from your group, tell me what you learned today. And we're gonna write a sentence about it. And that is a, a perfect way to assess with a written assignment as well, even if it's not paper pencil per se. Be creative with your ideas. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. And when I say paper pencil, I don't want kids just sitting and writing the whole time, but I think there's a lot of great ways that students can contribute to conversations and their ideas and their opinions by actually writing about it and make it fun, make it creative. Assessments don't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be the traditional test like we think about. I know when I was in school, assessments look a lot different than they did back then, even in elementary music. And so when you're thinking of exit tickets or writing assignments, like I said, this doesn't have to be every single class period. You choose which standards you're teaching to, which ones would align well with an exit ticket or writing assignment, and then make sure you factor that in and put that on your lesson plan so you know this class period is when this is happening. The next formal assessment I want to talk about is centers and group work. One thing I love about doing centers in elementary music, and by the way, if you go to the blog post I mentioned already that's in the show notes, it will link to another blog post where I talked about centers. I actually have a podcast episode. If you scroll down a little bit, you will see an episode where I did about centers as well. I actually did centers in my elementary music classroom before I even knew they were a thing. And now I hear they're all the rage. So it's awesome that it's kind of taken off this idea. But one thing I love about doing centers is the fact that informal and formal assessments are naturally embedded into the different activities. When you are creating centers for your students, you get to come up with the ideas. You get to come up with what activities your students are doing. You can create activities where you are doing formal and informal assessments. So for example, if students are doing a listening activity, this can also be a writing assignment. They're listening to something, they're writing about maybe the, the form of the song or going back to what we already talked about earlier, talking about different musical elements that they hear from the song. Maybe they're comparing and contrasting two different songs they're hearing. That is a, definitely a formal assessment. That could definitely be a center they're doing. And you will just keep track of what students have done that center and when they need to do it again. I always say what worked well for me is doing three centers per class period or two centers per class period. And it's up to you how many centers you had. I did six. I had the kiddos do three each class period. And then so that meant two class periods to finish the full six centers. How you do it is up to you. But besides centers, students can do partner or small group work in the music room. I love collaborative learning. I love, 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 love it. <laughs> Whether it's with a partner or a small group, I think kiddos need to learn together. I think having the conversations with each other is important and being able to participate with students and learn together. They learn from each other. Teach Students can make the best teachers. So have them work together doing a writing activity they can, older students can do a research project. 
maybe you're learning about different musical styles, you can assign different musical styles to each group. And that's the research project they're doing. Students can write a blog post or even create a podcast episode together. And obviously this works well with older students, but I completely think younger students, even first graders can contribute to a group project with a blog post or podcast episode where you're obviously giving them a lot of instructions and a lot of ways that they can do this together as a class. If your students, let's say, are writing a blog post, let's say, for example, as a first grade class, I'm going to break this down for you. Let's say that there are four small groups you've divided them in, and you are talking about the different musical elements they've learned maybe in the first nine weeks. Maybe group one is going to help contribute to a heading about steady beat. Group two is going to contribute to the heading of rhythm and particularly the rhythms they've already learned. Group three is going to talk about folk dances they've learned. And group four is going to talk about, uh, let's say, um, A, B form. And what you're going to do is the students in their groups, if first graders obviously won't be able to write a full entire paragraph in a blog post on their own, what they're going to do is they can write down words under that heading of what they want to contribute to the blog post. And then you as the teacher can fill it in. Each class can compare their blog posts and you can read them to each other. What I want you to do is when you're creating centers and group work, think of how you can incorporate formal assessment into those particular categories. The last formal assessment I want to talk about is worksheets and quizzes. Wah, 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 right? I, I am not a big, I don't know. Worksheets are not my favorite. Quizzes are not my favorite. I think if they're done right, they are an amazing formal assessment tool. What I mean by done right is if, in my opinion, is if you're just handing kids a worksheet just for the sake of doing a worksheet, this is not me being judgmental at all. And I hope it's not coming across that way. But I don't want them to just, you know, like color a picture, which I talked about earlier, color a picture of what the music makes you think about. That, yeah, they're coloring, but there's a purpose to it. But if it's just a coloring sheet, like color the treble clef, well, let's think about like why we're having students do that. What is the actual reasoning behind doing that? Maybe by coloring it, yeah, they're learning about what the treble clef looks like, but there might be a better assessment to really assess their understanding of treble clef besides just coloring a picture of it, right? They're not my favorite assessment, but if they're done right, worksheets and quizzes, I do think they are beneficial. If you're creating worksheets, try to have students use higher order thinking skills or do more than just answer true false on a quiz. Anytime you can have students, you know, use the words explain or tell me, or if they're reading higher order thinking answers and choosing the best answer, that's a great strategy where they're not just typing the letter A, but they're typing out a sentence or really writing it out or having to read really what it says. That is a great formal assessment tool. It goes back to knowing what standards you're teaching and creating assessment opportunities that make sense for the lessons and assignments your students will be engaging with. So another example of higher order thinking is, well, if your students are learning the lines and spaces and the note names, a worksheet would make sense here. So you can definitely, by them needing to put the actual note on the staff, let's say you're telling them to draw a G. Well, they're having to really think about, okay, 
I need to remember my lines and spaces. What are the riddles for that? What, how do I draw a G? Is it around the line? Is it in the space? That is higher order thinking skills. It doesn't have to just be them writing a sentence or explaining something. Higher, higher order thinking, all it is, especially when it comes to worksheets and quizzes, is kiddos pulling information that they already know or things they've already learned before, and they're pulling it out and having to really think through multi-step processes. So that can be done in kindergarten all the way through any whatever grade you teach. So that is what I wanted to say about formal assessment. We're going to switch gears and talk about informal assessment. I mentioned earlier in the episode, but a big part, as you're already aware of, of assessment in the music room is participation. A large part of assessment, therefore, is informal. Students are participating in various means of making music, so it can be tough to assign a grade to what students are doing in a regular music class period. It's different than in a general classroom where they're doing a lot of formal assessments with reading and math. Music class is just different, and that's okay that it's different, but it's going to need to be, uh, the way you assess students is going to be, need to be different as well. You're going to figure out what works best for you and your students. You're going to develop a way to assess them. And I'm going to provide you with two ways you can do that today. Before I do, let's talk about keeping track of everything. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, when we talked about formal assessment, having some kind of Google Sheet or PowerSchool or even an in-person planner, it does not matter to me what you use, but that's the way you track your grades. So for informal assessment, this is still part of the assessment part of things. These grades matter too. This will definitely factor into a child's grades. Now it's up to you with sometimes informal assessments is just for you as the teacher to be aware of what a child knows and what you need to continue helping them with. Sometimes informal assessment when it comes to participation might be part of the actual grade you're going to assign to the child. So it's a mixture of what formal assessments you did and then some of the informal assessments will tie into the grade. Remember, we're going back to what standards you're teaching and which assessments are going to fit that standard. And some informal assessments, you're honestly just basing on what you need to know about particular children in your classroom, how far they are, how can, how fast can you proceed ahead, or do you need to slow down a little bit? Do you need to repeat any concepts? Can you keep going? That's all you're doing with informal assessment. So some of it is for grading purposes and others is for your knowledge as the teacher for planning lessons and for what you're teaching. A great way to keep track of informal assessments is honestly with sticky notes. I know that sounds so like simple, but it's the truth. Just have a sticky note. And all you're doing is as you're listening to each class period, let's say you have a third grade class in and you're listening to them sing, for example. Well, maybe you're assessing them matching pitch that day. When you're walking around, you're not going to have time on the sticky note or room on the sticky note for that matter to write down every child's name. So what I would do is put initials of a child or children, maybe there's two to three of them who are really struggling a little bit with matching pitch. So I would just put initials on a piece of paper so you know that you need to keep track of that, that those children need a little bit more work when it comes to that concept. So sticky notes work great. And then what you can do later is when you have time, which is never, but when you do, (laughs) if you have time, what you're going to do is you're going to go to your whatever grade book we talked about earlier. And let's say you have a Google sheet where you're keeping track of assessments for the actual grade you're turning in. 
you have another Google Sheet that you are keeping track of informal assessments. You have everything outlined there by concepts that pitch, beat, rhythm, all the things for each grade level. And when you're assessing pitch, you're going to go to those children's names that you already, you know, assessed. And you can just put a little minus mark by their name. So you're aware that these children need a little bit more help in that area. So it's all about just keeping track of it, formal and informal. You're going to have two different uh, sheets you're keeping track of. And I keep saying Google Sheets because I just think they're super easy to create and use. But whatever you use is totally up to you and it does not matter. Honestly, that part does not matter. But another thing you can do if you don't want to just use sticky notes is let's say you have an iPad and you can easily open whatever grading system you use, a Google Sheet as well, or Excel Sheet for that matter, and you can keep track of things that way. If you don't want to do a two-step process of marking it on a sticky note, then walking back and marking it down after that class leaves, just have that form easily pulled up on your iPad while you're walking around doing informal assessment that day and put a minus sign by the students who need one the students whose names don't have a mark next to them, then that means you're just aware that those students have um, matched that concept and you do not need to do anything next to their name. You can put a plus sign if you want to, but I just think it's easier just to mark the students who need a little bit more help in an area. So that way you're not having to sit there and do 25 kids per class period. And you can just mark the ones who did not meet the standard is what I'm getting at. Thumbs up and thumbs down is the first informal assessment I want to talk about. One of the easiest ways to use informal assessment in elementary music is with a simple thumbs up, thumbs down approach. It kind of makes me think of heads up, seven up, if you ever played that game. <laughs> but another thing you can do is have students hold up a finger if you're giving a verbal multiple choice assessment. So if you're using a statement like a quarter note gets one beat, you can have students put a thumbs up if that's correct, or a thumbs down if they think it's not correct. And then, of course, you're keeping track of this. And if you want students to not look around, you can tell them to close their eyes. And of course, you're going to have a couple peeking because that's what always happens. But you can tell, you can tell if a student's taking a while to put their thumb up or down, it means they're thinking or maybe they're just not sure. And you can even say, hey, put your thumb sideways if you're not sure. And that's okay, too. And that's okay. You can give them instructions ahead of time so they know what to do. When it comes to the holding the finger up approach, and I said it's a verbal multiple choice assessment thing. Well, if you are you know, maybe you've pulled up a rhythm on your smart board and you are counting that rhythm. Let's say it's a quarter note, quarter note, two eighth notes, quarter note. And so option A is T, 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 ta, ta. Option B, which is the correct one, is ta, ta, T, T, ta, and then C, D. And so you can have the students, okay, look at the rhythms I have up here. Which one do you think is correct? Hold up a one, two, three, or four for which rhythm counting syllables match matches the rhythm that's written up there. That's a great informal assessment. It's super quick as well. The other informal assessment I want to talk about is matching pitch and rhythm. When students are singing or using instruments, a great informal assessment is to check if they can match the pitches and the rhythms correctly. Obviously, this goes with any type of instrument, melodic instrument, recorders, ukulele, it does not matter. But this will require you to do a lot of listening and watching. Students can be engaged in whole group instruction, playing a music game, or learning a rhythm on instruments in a center group. So it does not need to be just solo singing or I'm going to go around one at a time because <laughs> that's going to take forever. 
but and listen to each child play this rhythm on this drum one at a time. No, informal assessment can be by just listening and watching what the students are doing that in everyday class period. You're just listening and assessing what they're doing based on what you have planned to do each class period, if that makes sense. You can walk around and listen. You can just observe and watch. You can, like if they're in small groups, you can go behind them and just mark things down as you see it in each small group. And that's a great way to do informal assessment. It goes really quickly. You're not stopping class time to do it but you're still listening. You can put your ear next to a child as they're singing and they're, they're going to get used to it. They're going to be aware of what you're doing. If you're putting your ear next to their mouth and they're like, what? So they're going to get used to it. They're going to understand what you're doing. If you're walking around the room that day and you have a sticky note out or your iPad out, they know what you're doing. They know you're listening to them and just like make them aware ahead of time. Keep ongoing conversations going with your students in your classroom. So you can use a sticky note, like I said, or you can use the iPad and just markdown assessments as you need to based on listening and watching and observing your students. Yes, students can sing individually and play instruments individually, but I think a big part of we talk about in elementary music is making students feel included and seen and valued. And a lot of times when students feel singled out and they're asked to sing by themselves in a solo, that's that's hard. It's hard for a lot of kids to do that. So I think a great way to do informal assessment is by you just naturally walking up to them and listening without stopping and making them sing by themselves in front of the class. So I think and a really great way to assess students informally is just by listening and observing as they're naturally participating in whatever's going on in the music room that day. So these are, are some assessment ideas. I just wanted to record an episode about this because I know it can get confusing knowing what to do and how to do it. So my biggest takeaway for you for this episode is just to make a plan, know how much formal assessments you would like to do, know which informal assessments are going to contribute to the child's grade and which ones are just for your purposes, and then to develop some kind of way to keep track of everything. So those are the steps to it. It's really not as complicated as we make it out to be. Give yourself permission to do it your way. Give yourself permission to think outside the box and be okay with the fact that it doesn't have to be perfect. You can always go back to the drawing board and start over if it's not working. Have an amazing day and I'll see you again next week. Well, hey there. Thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook Group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there, have an amazing week, and I will see you soon.